All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Lots of news to start with this morning on a Monday. Barry Trotz out as the New York Islanders head coach. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck with that. What do you make of this? Well, I'd like to say I'm surprised, but then I remember it's Lou Lamorello and some of the moves that he's made regarding coaches in the past have been bold. I mean, I can remember going into playoffs and I believe it was Pat Burns just before Playoffs relieved the duties previously. Lamorello makes changes when he pleases to. Even when I was a member of the Devils, I can remember right before Christmas time, John McClain being our head coach and receiving a vote of confidence. And about five days later, he blew fired him. So um, I'm not from that aspect to surprise, but is this really on Barry Trotz why the New York Islanders couldn't compete this year? Is this not because of what they faced with COVID and being out of their home rank? Is it not because the teams also an aging lineup that could use some real star power. Like there's a lot here, I think more than a coach who has proven to be a winner in the league. And I mean, Frank, he's got a year left at 4 million bucks that, you know, he'll get paid out on. So I I'm curious to see what happens with Barry Trotz here. Do you have any, do you have any ideas what you think may happen with him? Well, I'm curious to see if this was maybe a little bit more mutual than we might have realized, you know, what was Barry Trotz's interest in continuing to coach? 
these have been some long and hard years. And you take a look at his resume and record on Long Island. It was damn good. Made the playoffs in each of his first three seasons. Lost in the Eastern Conference Final each of the last two years to the eventual Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, a 152-102-34 mark over parts of those four seasons on the island. And he took a team, Mike, that really couldn't get out of its own way, gave them purpose, gave them direction, gave them a system that really worked in terms of their defensive style and approach. But I think some of the collateral damage may have been some of their offensive stars that have been stifled a little bit. And I look at a guy mm-hmm. like Matt Barzell and I wonder maybe stylistically is Lou Lamorello looking for something a little bit different? I've thought that at times I thought Matt Barzell might actually be better somewhere else just due to the fact that he doesn't seem to have the same type of players to run with him. So I, I think that could factor in, but bottom line here, like you, Lou's getting rid of a very, very good NHL coach. And you have to wonder what's the upgrade here, Frank? Like who's he going to find that he can look and say, we are objectively a better team now with a different voice coaching us. I don't know that there is an upgrade. I think you may be able to find another coach. I don't know that you'll be able to find a better coach. And, you know, what's really interesting is where does Barry Trotz go from here? There was some talk, um, you know, quickly about the idea of maybe Barry Trotz sliding into a management role. Here's the thing. And and I, I saw this from Matt Barnaby on Twitter uh, earlier on Monday. He said, Barry Trotz will get picked up quicker than a Kardashian. And I thought that was so well said. Um, you look at some of the NHL coaching vacancies at the moment, the Islanders now included. Team that really stands out for me as being a great fit is the Winnipeg Jets. He's maybe a coach that with some structure, certainly defensively, that team could be way better off heading into next season. He's also a Manitoba native. And I could just see his personality and Kevin Cheveldayoff's personality really meshing. There's one other team to keep an eye on as well that isn't on this list, Mike, and that's the Vegas Golden Knights. We still have not heard yet what the fate is of Pete DeBoer, although we know that GM Kelly McCrimmon is returning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it could be interesting. And and really, we have to ask, is Barry Trotz going to coach next season? Is that something he'd like to do? I mean, he's play, he's been coaching a lot of hockey with no time off in these past several years. He's got a pretty big family. You have to wonder if maybe a sabbatical might be a good thing. But Barry Trotz has always jumped at a chance to coach when he's had it. He's moved from Nashville to Washington to New York, and it's been fluid. So coaches want to coach. I would even suggest, like, who knows what happens with playoffs here, Frank? Like. He's going to want a good team to coach. What if Florida doesn't do something? You know, like these are the the machinations I think that I could see playing out. And I think it's all on the table for Barry Trotz. Here's the bottom line, Mike. I think if Barry Trotz will be out of work as long as he wants to be fair. I agree with that. All right, let's move on to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who absolutely crushed the Toronto Maple Leafs in game four on Sunday evening. It was a route right from opening puck drop. And for a team in Tampa Bay that needed to bounce back, now 16-0 and following a loss over each of their last three playoff runs. And Andre Vasilevsky, 953 save percentage in that stretch. When you look at this you know, is this a missed opportunity for the Leafs or is this just Tampa Bay really doing what they do? It's a bit of both here. I, mean, I think really this was Tampa Bay putting their stamp on the game, like right off the bat. Stamco scores. Okay. Not much longer after that. Belmar, the puck's in the back of the net. And you look at how the goals happen. The first one's 
hard work in the zone, ton of bodies in front. Like Tampa is doing the things that they need to, to, to garner momentum in the locker room as well. Like even when this play started to get rough between Tampa Bay and Toronto last night, I thought that favored the lightning. They look totally comfortable in a rough game. They, they haven't been phased by it. Even when they've lost the two games in the series pretty handily, they've bounced back right away. Now, the Leafs has, have as well, but I have bigger questions about the Leafs. And you always think about ghosts of playoff past, and that's kind of dominating our thought process. But I didn't think Jack Campbell's details were great. He is not the reason why they lost last night. He'll be back in the next game. But you wonder now, you're going to game five. And it's two to two. It's going to Toronto. Toronto's got to win that game to me, Frank. Like they have to. And that all comes down to first period. They can't sit in the box. Like you can't give Tampa eight power plays and think you're going to come out of that game unscathed. It just isn't going to happen. That to me was a sign that Toronto was chasing, maybe even trying a little bit too hard, Frank. Yeah, I agree. What's your level of concern with Jack Campbell? I thought the comments from John Cooper, you know, basically saying, you know, right away early in the series when he was asked about Campbell, I think it was after game three saying, you know, Jack Campbell has been really good. He had a shutout. He saved the Leafs in game three. And he said, well, he's giving up an average of three and a half goals a game. So I think we're all right with that. Can the Leafs win with Campbell and net? Well, they can because they've shown that they've done it previously. But I do have concerns because he hasn't gotten through a first round. And, and to me, Campbell's kind of like a starting pitcher in baseball, Frank, that you can tell if he doesn't have his stuff early in a game. Like last night, his details were a little bit off. You know, Belmar's goal, he's not quite square. Stamkos' shot that goes in right off the bat, he doesn't arrive on time. His route's a little wonky. When Campbell's dialed in, those things don't happen. So I need to see details right off the bat from him because when he has them, they can absolutely win. But it hasn't been at a consistent enough level. Hmm. Interesting. I just think the Tampa Bay, the Toronto Maple Leafs, excuse me, are going to rue the day that they did not take advantage of being able to put a skate to the throat of the two-time defending cup champs and go up three to one in that series. You know, we talked about Brendan Shanahan before saying at the end of last season, who are our killers? Well, who are they? Who's going to step up and be the killer for the Toronto Maple Leafs? We've yet to see it. You mentioned ghosts of playoff pass. I say, We've seen this movie before, and I don't know that mm. we necessarily like how it ends for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Still a chance, tied 2-2, heading back to Toronto. We'll see how they respond in Game 5. The Los Angeles Kings also with a big bounce back against the Edmonton Oilers. You look at the way that the Oilers dominated the Kings in Games 2 and 3, outscoring them by a 14-2 margin. What a strange and lopsided series this has been in a number of ways, just like so many others, in fact. So many blowouts so far in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's like, can we, get a, can we please get a close game at some point somewhere? Um, but in this case, what did you make of the Kings and the way that they performed in game four to really, in some ways, save their season? The Oilers had a chance, like the Leafs, to really put the Kings in a tough spot, and they aren't able to come through and do it. It's funny how the series are close, but the games haven't been close so much around the league. Really, Frank, what it comes down to me between Edmonton and L.A. is five-on-five five play. When L.A. can manage McDavid and Dreisaitl, and really the entire Edmonton lineup, because Edmonton's now rolling four lines. Woodcroft has taken that team and really varied or really dispersed the load. If LA can stay on top of Edmonton at even strength, they have a chance. Now it's I mean, they don't have as much skill 
and it's going to depend on quick playing well, which he obviously did last night. He's making saves without a glove on, man. Like that was freakish. Like, <laughs> it's complete disregard for your own health, which is what us goalies do when you're faced with adversity. But I, I really think also that LA's discipline last night helped. They had no penalties in the first period. Also, Edmonton didn't as well. And when it goes like that without any power plays either way, again, that's good for LA. Dano had a monster game. He has plus three. McDavid and Drysdale were both on the ice for two goals against. And that's that's rare for that team. So far, that matchup had been in favor of Edmonton. So uh, some of the things Todd McQuellen did even, he puts Grunstrom in two goals. Puts Troy Stetcher in. He's got a goal and assist in the game as well, Frank. Those made a difference for that club in L.A. And they just can't chase, you know. Kopitar looked like a ghost after game three at the end of it. He didn't look like that last night. Yeah, you mentioned Jonathan Quick, his 10th career playoff shutout, most all-time among American-born goaltenders now, alone in first place in that category. I just love the mindset from the Kings as well. Todd McClellan saying to his players, look, a lot of people are going to point out 14 to two over the last two games. The only score that matters is the fact that we're trailing in this series only by a two to one margin. They had an opportunity to square it up and they did so. And just like with the Leafs, I think a real big missed opportunity for the Edmonton Oilers, because guess mm-hmm. what? They're not good enough yet. They're not mature enough yet to be able to do that later on in the playoffs. If you want to go on a deep run, they may be able to overcome it against a team like the Los Angeles Kings in the first round who don't have the, their full complement of, of players in their lineup. But that's not really a good sign if you're an Oiler fan and you're looking for a team that has an ability to stomp on an opponent and just can't quite get it together in any facet of their game in game four. So part of it is what the Kings did. Part of it was also the Oilers not showing up in an opportune moment to really put a stranglehold on the series. What about the Florida Panthers? Speaking of a stranglehold, well, the Caps can do that to the Cats with a win in game four at Capital One Arena in the nation's capital on Monday evening. Tough spot for the President's Trophy winners who don't have a power play goal this series, who do not look like themselves. Coach Andrew Brunette has been critical of their lack of skating. He feels like their speed and everything else has been a little bit off their compete level. Certainly, we mentioned their power play hasn't been very good. But I think more to the point, maybe we're doing a little bit of a disservice to the Washington Capitals and not mention what a great job they're doing making life difficult for Florida, getting in their way and preventing their speed coming through the neutral zone, that 1-3-1 setup really seems to be doing quite a number on the Florida Panthers who generate so much of their action uh, and energy off the rush. What are you seeing uh, through the first three games between these two teams? The easy thing to do is to look at the Panthers' power play and go, oh, it's 0 for 9. Why aren't they scoring? They were so good in the regular Well, think about it this way. They've only had nine power plays in three games. So to me, that means that the Washington Capitals are able to control a lot of the play and not let Florida carry it. So Washington, to me, has done a great job, and it's really come from their depth. I mean, even last game, Tom Wilson's not in the lineup, but it doesn't phase the Capitals from playing to their identity, which they've done well in their wins in the series. And you look at players like Lars Eller and Garnett Hathaway that can bang and crash, but they can still skate. And that's really important to Washington. And of course, they've got power play advantage when you've got Ovechkin and everyone else that can get it done. But Washington's been better five on five, Frank. They've been better at special teams. And I said this on our Suitcase and Scribe podcast with Scott Burnside last week after game one when Andrew Burnett said, well, this is good for us that we lost game one. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's essentially what he said, you know, to face some adversity. No, it's not good to be down one nothing in a series. That's bad. Like, 
I thought it would be good for them to face adversity during the series, but not to be down a game and to get trounced in it. So I don't like how the Panthers have looked here, Frank, and I'm concerned with them. And what about Bob? That's my last comment. What about Bob? They need him to steal the next game and they need him to play strong. Yeah. What about Bob? It's, uh, you know, you mentioned the power play, though, going 0 for 9. And I will say that they've looked a bit lost. And I think one of the big reasons for that is everyone just assumes, okay, it's so great to get Aaron Ekblad back in the lineup now that he's healthy. And of course it is. Everyone would wish to have a player like that and his full skill set back in your lineup, but it also meant tinkering with a power play that had been rolling Mm -hmm. to end the season. Guys like Claude Giroux, a trade deadline acquisition, they haven't really played with Aaron Ekblad on that power play unit before. All of a sudden, you put Ekblad in there, and I don't know, it doesn't really look the same. So Andrew Brunette, mid-game in game three, took Ekblad off, bumped him down to the second unit, and went back to what worked to end the regular season. We'll be interested to see what happens in game four, what that power play looks like. Tom Wilson still expected to be out. Ilya Samsonov expected to be between the pipes for the Washington Capitals. Man, a lot riding on that game for the President's Trophy winners. It's... Could you imagine that team bowing out in round one the way that they looked as an offensive juggernaut all season long? Yep. And that's why I mentioned Barry Trotz earlier, because if that team doesn't get out of the first round, man, anything could happen in Florida. Yeah, no doubt about that. Let's get to uh, our all 32 for today. Uh, We're going to focus on the Boston Bruins. Pleased to welcome back to the Daily Faceoff show, Pete Blackburn, uh, for this All-32 delivered by DoorDash. Pete, your Boston Bruins had a big swing in this series against the Carolina Hurricanes, winning both games on home ice to level the series. The big change, of course, the turning point in the series has been the reunion of the perfection line. 16 points they've combined for in these last two games. You see their ice time ticking up uh, since they were reunited by coach Bruce Cassidy. My question to you is this. One of the other turning points of the Bruins season, Pete, was the idea that they were able to separate these lines and make the Bruins a bit of a deeper team, uh, putting Pasternak on that second line with Taylor Hall. Are the Bruins at risk here going up against the Hurricanes of being a little bit too one-dimensional? Pete, I think your microphone is muted there. Hey, how are you? Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, hey, Pete. Yeah, I think What's there's definitely in? a chance. There's definitely a chance that they can become a one-line team, and uh, obviously, that's something that they've been trying to get away from for for a little bit. But uh, there is also a point where you decide that you need offense, and you can you, you try whatever you can to get it. And putting those guys back together has worked for them, and I think that they kind of have to ride that out as much as they can, or ride the hot hand as as long as they can, and just hope that the guys behind them do their jobs. Really started to see the intensity ramp up, uh, ramp up last game, and Marshawn, D'Angelo, they're going back and forth. Some choice words that you could read lips pretty easily for Brad Marshawn. In this series, when when the hate starts to heat up, I mean, which of these two teams do you think has an advantage when it really starts to get going like that? 
I mean, past would tell you that it's the Bruins. And obviously over the, the last game or two, it has been in the Bruins' favor. They, they I still think they're getting outplayed at five on five. Uh, but the fact that they were able to get onto the power play as much as uh, they were in game four and the fact that the power play is now again producing a very strong advantage to the Bruins. But uh, you know, you look at the first couple of games and Carolina was getting under under Boston's skin and they were taking bad penalties themselves. And we know, uh, looking across the league at how these games have been officiated, I think there's an overcompensation uh, to call things and, and stick by the rule book and not allow uh, shenanigans. So uh, hate is going to have a is going to play a role in the uh, in this series. And I think in pretty much every series, but uh, with Marshan and D'Angelo mixing it up, I would uh, obviously game four, you know, suggested that that could work in the Bruins favor, but they need to keep their cool as well. So the Bruins were without two key defensemen in game four, Pete Hampus Lindholm, Charlie McAvoy out with uh, COVID-19 protocol. Hampus Lindholm skated on Monday. So some positive signs there. Who caught your eye from the back end that stepped up to really uh, help the Bruins out in a time of need? How about one Derek Forbert? Uh, he was a monster in game three and it, 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 you know, blocking shots, just being a big body. That's kind of the guy that they sold us on as, as who he would be when they brought him in this offseason. Uh, they wanted some, some tenacity, some grit, some, uh, some guy who, who, who wouldn't be afraid to get dirty on the back end. And Forbert was that in game three, was pretty good in game four as well. So, uh, if you can get those, those contributions, uh, from the back end defenseman and then get McAvoy back get Lindholm back, they're going to be in much better shape uh, to trust three pairs. And so uh, that was a good encouraging sign for the Bruins. Hopefully Derek Forber can keep it up because he wasn't that great during the regular season. Mike, it looks like you're muted now. Well, I was just following Pete's lead earlier. Uh, <laughs> Pete, you know, going into the series is a big question mark of Omar Swayman. You're looking at, at Carolina. Freddie Anderson's out. Ranta, oh man, he's out for a little bit. Russian kid comes in. What's your been assessment? What has been your assessment of the goaltending so far in the series? Uh, heading into Friday, I would have told you that the Bruins just didn't test Carolina's goaltending enough, especially with those those two guys. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, obviously you would love to have Freddie if you're the Hurricanes, but the Bruins just didn't do a good enough job testing those two guys uh, to see if there would be an advantage. Uh, Linus Olmark, I, I thought, kind of got an unfair shake because he wasn't good, he wasn't bad, but the team in front of him was awful and he didn't really have a chance to stay in this series. The thing that I will say about Jeremy Swayman is that I believe he gives you a better chance to steal a game. I think that Jeremy Swayman has a bit of a higher ceiling. He, he makes saves that uh, he, he, you don't necessarily deserve or, uh, you know, he, he'll he'll make a surprising save more than Linus Allmark will. Uh, and I think the Bruins have kind of needed that. It, it is a big boost to get a save uh, that you're not expecting. So uh, Swayman's been good, been very, uh, very impressed. Obviously not going to be a shock that he continues uh, to keep the net as long as he's playing like this. Great stuff. Great insight from Pete Blackburn of Bally Sports on the Boston Bruins. Pete and I have a little video series going every day on Bally Sports, the road to Stanley. So check that out uh, after you're done with our daily faceoff show and keep it locked on Bally Sports for all of Pete's latest throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. This has been the All 32 delivered by DoorDash. You see the promo codes there at the bottom of your screen. D-F-O-D-D if you're in Canada, D-F-O-D-D-U-S if you're in the United States. That gets you 25% off and free delivery on 
your first order with DoorDash. Another set of four playoff games tonight. You don't want to cook. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door by DoorDash. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. All right, it's time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day, hashtag AskDFO. Before we get to that, I just wanted to drop a little quick news that we had here developing while we were on the show. Uh, TSN 1200 in Ottawa reporting that the Ottawa Senators have fired Vice President of Player Development Pierre Maguire today. So some interesting news out of Ottawa. We heard Barry Trotz fired, now Pierre Maguire as well on this newsy Monday, May 9th. Uh, Mike, that brings us to our quick look at the Minnesota Wild and St. Louis Blues, another back and forth series. It seems like, uh, you know, the definition of momentum not uh, continuing forward from game to game. When you look at game five, you've got a banged up Blues uh, blue line. You've got a Minnesota Wild team that really failed to capitalize and also take a stranglehold on that series. What are you looking for? Who has the edge heading into game five? It's tough to say because I, I think that St. Louis was their typical self, you know, like they're opportunistic is not the right word, man. They just finish, you know, and I don't think Minnesota gave themselves a chance to win this game. They're in the penalty box for six minutes in the first period. And that's been the theme and the two wins that the Blues have. It's been given to them by the Minnesota Wild. They've been in the box nonstop. And with the Blues power play, you can't allow that to happen. So I, I think that's key for Minnesota is as simple as that. Play five on five so that Minnesota can play their game and impose their will and their heaviness on them. And St. Louis, for me, it's just rest, Frank. They've got four of their top six defensemen out of the lineup. Pareko and Falk both, both played over 30 minutes last night. Take your days off here, boys. Get some rest. Come back with some energy. I think that's going to matter more than anything for the Blues. Yeah, it's been amazing what the Blues have been able to accomplish with that banged up blue line. It seems like it's been a revolving door on the back end, uh, you know, basically every night in this series, someone mm -hmm. else going down. So uh, a really interesting series, a tight series, maybe not played out exactly the way that we expected. But if you had said, you know, a few days ago before the playoffs started, as we're now halfway through round one, that these two teams would be tied after four games, just about everyone would have just nodded their head and said, yep, sounds about right. So let's get to our daily face-off, daily bet segment with Tyler Uremchuk, still out in Los Angeles, recovering after a Edmonton Oilers loss in game four. Tyler, how'd you do over the weekend? And not great over the weekend, Frank. So on round one as a whole here, we're down about three or four units. So uh, we'll look to bounce back tonight. Let's jump into it. Courtesy of our friends at Points Bay Canada, because I barely trust this hotel Wi-Fi that I'm currently using. I'm starting with the Panthers on the puck line. You could go back to my segment on Thursday. I, I took the Panthers on the puck line. I took Amika's advantage at assist. I'm just going to trust the process a little. I like the plus 135 payout. For the Florida Panthers, they rarely ever lose back-to-back -back games. They haven't lost back-to-back -back games yet in this series. That is a good payout. And digging into that Rangers-Penguins matchup, Zibanejad, he's been my assist guy all year, and I don't mind riding with him again tonight. I think the Rangers will bounce back. Zibanejad seems to pretty consistently pick up apples, as he's done over the last few months. Plus 125, that's a good payout. So that is where I'm going to wrap up the segment, Frank. Mika Zibanejad, over half an assist. The Florida Panthers with a big bounce back, and that's all I got tonight. 
Interesting. Yeah. I could totally see a Florida Panthers bounce back. I could also see them continuing to be frustrated by the Washington Capitals. We'll see how it all plays out in game four in DC. That brings us to garbage time with Mike McKenna. And before you hop into what's caught your eye and caught your attention from around the NHL, I just want to ask quickly, what was it like being between the benches on TBS on Friday night, making your national TV debut? It was so much fun. And I got into it right away when I took an errant slash from Leon Dreisaitl in the first period. He crashed in with a Los Angeles Kings player and got me right on the wrist. And it's weird, Frank. Like I was talking about this with another goaltender recently that I I miss the pain of playing, of actually being physically hurt by pucks, like not injured, but that feeling. It's a dope. It's a rush, man. So it got me into it. It was just a lot of fun. So I had a blast doing it. I'd love to have some more in the future, but who knows, man, I'm just happy to have that one opportunity. It's really cool. Yeah, really cool. What uh, what's caught your eye? It's been a total, uh, you know, a lot of conversation, I would say, and controversy. Rod Brindamore would share in this pain, at least, of the goalie interference. Mm-hmm. Matt Larkin gave me his lecture on Friday about how he seems to know every single time what goalie interference is and isn't. When he sees it, feels like he can nail the call more often than not. Do you agree? I feel like it's a it's a toss up. I feel like there's so many things that pop up, and I'm like. Uh, I don't know what this is or isn't. I've been in the same boat as Matt this year that I was, I mean, I thought I was batting 100% for most of the season until last night. Okay. <laughs> and I'm, I'm watching Carolina and Boston. And sure enough, here's a goalie interference call that I think's a layup that Rod Brindamore said, I, quote, maybe I'm wrong if I'm on this quote, but I think he said he bet his life on it that it was going to be goalie interference. Correct. Well, here we go. It counts. And it's Jake DeBrusque pushing his stick into Antti Ranta's pad and clears a lane. Antti Ranta is knocked completely off balance. He cannot play goal in this scenario and DeBrusque ends up scoring. Now, the reasoning that I believe the NHL allowed this to stand is because Brett Pesci is in front of the net and his stick hits the thigh rise of Antti Ranta's pad about the same time as Jake DeBrusque and Ranta spins a little bit. But here's my thing, Frank. I can tell you 100% truthfully, being an ex-goaltender, that the impact that moved Antti Ranta's pad and made this hard on him was DeBrusque's stick. He's pushing as hard as he can at him. He pushes him out How of the way. How could it not? It's not Pesci in front. Exactly. So like to me, this is 100% goalie interference. This wasn't even like a contested puck. Okay, The puck's it's free, but it's not a battle, which could have been used in the rules for it. I think they missed this one. And I think they've done a really good job this year. Even in the LA Edmonton game, there was a play where, uh, you know, Grunstrom crashed into Mike Smith, but he was tripped on the play by Darnell Nurse. And I can accept that because an Edmonton player caused it to happen. Not this one, man. Like, this is straight up to brush, pushed Ranta out of the way and the puck's in the net. So this was tough, man. I didn't like this call at all. So many storylines with goalie interference. So many different goalies in the net in the postseason. Mike, it's been all about the goalies through the first eight days of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's been incredible to see the number of different goalies that have been used. Just, you know, even Igor Shesterkin, how many, you know, how many people thought that he would be pulled through the first few games of that series as well? It's been crazy to watch. I still have no idea what goalie interference. When you see something like that and you hear a coach saying that he would have bet his life on it, geez. Uh, that says a lot, doesn't it? That'll do it for, yeah, that is a strong bet. That'll do it for this edition of the daily face-off show. That's all the time that we have for today. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the NHL. We'll be back here Tuesday, 12 noon Eastern. You know where to find us until then. Enjoy the games, everyone. 
Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.